This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program today. This is Don Boyd. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. Today we want to continue in our studies in what is the truth about. And today we're going to look at an event that, you know, whenever school is almost over, many seniors in high school have an event they're looking forward to, and if they happen to miss that event, it just seems like it's going to ruin their lives if they miss it. From listening to people, if these young men and women do not go to their prom, it will be a life-altering, horrendous action on the part of their parents. But what goes on at any high school prom that I've ever heard of or seen, the dresses that young women wear causes the prom to be one of the most ungodly events that a person could ever attend. So what is the truth about the prom? Well, if you look in the Oxford American College Dictionary of 2002, it gives this definition for prom. A formal dance, especially one held by a class in high school or college at the end of the year. From Todd Clippard in a House to House article entitled, Should Christian Teens Attend the Prom? He makes this statement. Tragically, many Christian teens and their parents lose all rationality and common sense when it comes to the prom. Should Christian teens have anything to do with the prom? An ungodly world puts tremendous pressure on God's teenagers to join with them in worldly recreation. Uh, Whenever you look in the uh, Wikipedia and some other places on the internet, the cost and the prom in the United States, the last one I could find, was $1,139 on average for someone in the United States going to the prom. Well, we might ask, what are the worldly activities that take place either at or after the prom? Well, one thing that definitely goes with prom is a modest dress. Again, parents go brain dead whenever it comes to the prom. Parents seem to think that sending their children to the prom is like sending them to a playground. Parents dress their daughters in dresses that simulate street walkers. Uh, Low cut where the shoulders and breasts are seen, short where the thigh can be seen. And they dress in a way that advertises that they are ready to fulfill their date's sexual desires. From the Truth Magazine, and this is Steve Curtis, the author of this, in the article entitled, The Danger of Prom Night, and I quote, 
dresses that are backless, low cut in the front, above the knee, or slit in the side up to the hip bone define the attire of many young ladies on prom night. There is no need to wonder why a young girl who chooses to wear such attire loses the battle of worldliness. One's attire is a reflection of who they are inwardly. 1 Peter 3, 3-4 The attire young ladies wear to a prom does not reflect a mind that is set on things above, but reflects on a mind that is set on things of the flesh. Unquote. Well, in order to understand the immodesty in the dress there on prom night, we need to look at God's standard for proper dress. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, and then verse 21, we see how God dressed Adam and Eve and how they dressed themselves. Well, after they had both eaten there of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, in verse 7 of Genesis 3, it says, And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. You see, there in that statement, even though Adam and Eve had sewn those fig leaves together to make some kind of a little covering, Adam and Eve still considered themselves to be naked. In verse 21, we find God's way of covering them. It says unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. When if you look up the Hebrew word there that is translated coats, Strong says it means a cover, a shirt, and it is translated as coat, garment, and robe. We also find the way that God told the priests to dress themselves back in Exodus chapter 28, verses 40 to 43. Exodus chapter 28, verses 40 to 43. It says there, and for Aaron's sons thou shalt make coats. Now the word coat is the same word that was translated coats in Genesis 3.21. He continues to say, and thou shalt make for them girdles, and bonnets shalt thou make for them for glory and for beauty, and thou shalt put them upon Aaron thy brother and his sons with him, and shalt anoint them, and consecrate them, and sanctify them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. And thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness. From the loins even to the thighs shall they reach. In other words, from the loins on down to the knee, these breeches were to reach. 
And they, verse 43, shall be upon Aaron and upon his sons when they come into the tabernacle of the congregation, or when they come near unto the altar to minister in the holy place, that they bear not iniquity and die. It shall be a statute for them, or excuse me, forever unto him and his seed after him. So they were to have those coats or that covering of a shirt, and then also these breeches that covered down from the loins to the knees. So there was no midriff showing, there was no thigh showing. That was considered and is considered by God to be nakedness. In Isaiah 47, we find an interesting comment here. Isaiah chapter 47, verses 2 and 3. And here Isaiah is prophesying there about the destruction of Babylon. He says, Take the millstones and grind mill, uncover thy locks, that being the hair, Make bare the leg, uncover the thigh, pass over the rivers. Okay, so making bare the leg and uncovering the thigh in verse 3 is called thy nakedness shall be uncovered, yea, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will not meet thee as a man. So having part of the thigh showing is considered by God to be nakedness. Now, we look at godly women in 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 10, the dress of godly women. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 says, In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, so Beryl, that is modest, with shamefacedness and sobriety. And we're going to look at some of these words in a moment. Not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. The words, we want to look at some of the words here in First uh, Timothy chapter two verses nine and ten. It says adorn. Thayer defines the Greek word translated adorn in this way. Number one, to put in order, arrange, make ready, prepare. Second definition, to ornament or adore. Third definition, metaphorically to embellish with honor. And then we look at the word translated modest. Strong, Strong's there says that modest means orderly of good behavior, modest. Vines adds to that definition the word decent. And then we find the word shamefacedness. Strong's defines the Greek word there as bashfulness towards men, modesty, towards God or all, reverence and shamefacedness. So what we have there in 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 9 and 10 are two different ways that women dress immodestly. 
One would be dressing not covering from the shoulder to the knee. The other would be trying to make yourself look immodest in a way that is dressed and also drawing attention to yourself either way whether that be with the gold and the pearls and the costly array or with the absence there of proper clothing as well. The word sobriety comes from the Greek word that Strong's defines as soundness of mind, literally sanity or self-control. So whenever they are dressed in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, if you look at it, if they dress in another way that is not that is not modest, those that dress immodestly dress insanely. Looking at the word sobriety meaning sanity, or they are dressing without, with a lack of self-control. And then women professing godliness announcing reverence towards God's goodness. That does not happen at the prom. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul says there, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If we are not to be conformed to the world, then we're not to dress like the world. We're not to act like the world. We're not to talk like the world. And we're not to attend worldly events. Well, something else that goes on at the prom is dancing. That may be the main event that is going on at the prom. Well, dancing leads to fulfillment of sexual desires, whether they are physical or mental. Jesus condemns mental sexual desire as adultery or fornication in Matthew 5, 27 to 28. He said, you have heard that it was said of them by old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So even if the physical act of fornication does not take place, the mental act of fornication will. Whenever you look at the dancing and such things as that, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 to 20, 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20, Paul gives this warning. He says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication, fornication sinneth against his own body. 
What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. There are at least two New Testament words that condemn dancing. One of those words we find translated as lasciviousness is asylgeia, and we'll look at some scriptures that contain the word lasciviousness in a little bit. But Thayer gives this definition of asylgeia, unbridled lust, excess, licentiousness, lasciviousness or lasciviousness, wantonness, outrageousness, shamelessness, insolence. And then this, wanton acts or manners as filthy words, indecent bodily movements, unchaste handling of males and females. Whenever you look at indecent bodily movements and unchaste handling of males and females, that occurs in dancing. Vines denotes this also, excess, licentiousness, absence of restraint, indecency. You know, in Mark chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, we find that what we are, our actions, our speech, and all that comes out of our heart. He said in Mark chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, there's that word, asylgeia, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. So that tells us right there that going to a prom defiles the individual that goes. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21. Paul says there, And lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and that I shall bewail many which have sinned already, and have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. Asylgeia again. In Galatians 5.19, Galatians 5.19, it says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest. In other words, they're made known. They are written down. Which are these? The first four have to do with sexual sins. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lasciviousness. Whenever you look at uncleanness, that's lustful, luxurious living. The word adultery, of course, that is a married individual having sex with someone other than their spouse. And then the word 
fornication. Fornication there involves many different aspects of sexual sin, and we're going to look at that definition in a moment. In 1 Peter 4, 3, it says, For the time past of our lives may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in the lascivious lust. The lasciviousness, there's that word, okay, again. Lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the excess of riot speaking evil of you. Now that last part there, we could say that could happen to a Christian young man or woman who refuses to go to the prom. They don't understand. They don't. They think it's strange that you're not going with them to that excess of riot, speaking evil of you. The Greek word translated fornication there includes several different again, aspects of sexual sin. It refers to sex outside of marriage. It refers to adultery, as we've already looked at. It refers to homosexuality, and it refers to sex with animals. All of that is under that word fornication. Well, another word that condemns dancing there in Galatians 5:19 is or excuse me Galatians chapter 5 and you look down in verse 21 where it mentions envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, revelings. Thayer defines the Greek word komos which is translated reveling here in this way. A revel, carousal a nocturnal and riotous procession of half-drunken and frolicsome fellows who after supper parade through the streets with torches and music in honor of Bacchus or some other deity and sing and play before the houses of male and female friends, hence used generally of feast and drinking parties that are protracted till late at night and indulge in revelry. So drinking and dancing there. Donegan's lexicon mentions this or gives this definition. Revelry is a joyful assembly of friends who meet at an entertainment or to celebrate a festival with music, dancing, and singing odes. A band of revelers who, after a feast, go through the streets singing and dancing and indulging in wanton and boisterous merriment music and dancing with festive meetings. So that is another word that you know, tells about the sin of dancing. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3, we find that word as well as lasciviousness. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walk in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. That all goes together. You know, I was running a milk route 
several years ago. It wasn't a retail milk route. It was a wholesale milk route. You know, I delivered milk to hospitals and schools and stores and quick stops and uh, such things as that. And there was a little quick stop out there between Colorado City and uh, uh, Westbrook. No, it was Colorado City and Lorain, Texas. And that little stop, you know, had an RV place and all that, and they sold ice cream and some milk and stuff to people who were out in their RV park. And one thing I noticed there one day as I was delivering, putting the milk in the cases and such, was a little dish that said this. I should have danced all night. And it had a drawing of a pregnant girl there on the front of the plate. Well, I'm sure that the individuals who did that probably thought that it might be humorous, but how tragic is it? I should have danced all night because it brings about sexual desire. Dancing is condemned by God, and so are the events where dancing is done. And the world knows what goes on at the prom. Why can't we figure it out? The world knows what goes on. Something else that goes on at the prom, or after, one or the other, or both, is drinking. The drinking of alcohol, the uh, partaking of drugs, and things such as that. Well, drinking alcohol is sin. Proverbs 20, verse 1. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Let's kind of put that into our modern day vernacular there. Wine will make a fool out of you. Strong drink will, will make a, a you to be raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby, or whosoever drinks it, is a fool. You want to be a fool? You go drink that alcohol. You go take that marijuana, those drugs. In Proverbs 23, another place where it, drinking is described and the results of it. Proverbs 23, 29 to 35. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? You know, strong drink is raging. Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? You know, who does this describe? Verse 30, they that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine, in other words, stronger drink, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup. If God's law here says not to look at it, that also means not to drink it. Because you can't drink it if you don't look at it. When it moveth itself aright, verse 32, at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Just like being bit by a poisonous snake. Thine eyes shall behold strange women. Thine heart shall utter perverse things. 
Now, you want to know how foolish it is to, to go get high. You want to know how stupid it is to go get high. Solomon describes it here in verse 34. Yea, thou shalt, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea. In other words, I'm going to take a nap, so I'm going to lie down in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. What's going to happen? You're going to drown. You're a fool to do that. Or is he that lieth upon the top of a mast? You know, the mast of the sailing ships, these large pieces of timber. Oh, I'm just going to climb up on top of one of them large pieces of limber, lay down, take a nap there. What's going to happen? You're going to fall off. In other words, he's saying you are a fool to do this. They have stricken me, verse 35 says, thou shalt say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. What? I might have been passed out. Whatever. When shall I awake, he says. I will seek it yet again. I go through all this. I act like an idiot. I make a fool of myself, and I'll just go do it again. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. Paul says there, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Don't fool yourself. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. That's talking about homosexuality nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Don't fool yourself. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that any of this is okay with God. People try to say that, but it's not. People try to say that to justify their own actions, but they're not being justified before God. Again, Galatians 5, 9, uh, 5.21 talks about envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and notice this, and such like. Anything that is like anything that he's just mentioned is sin. And then he says, of the which I tell you before, as I've told you also in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, don't be a fool. I've already told you once. I'm telling you again. Don't do these things if you want to go to heaven. Because you're not if you do these things. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. Peter says, therefore, the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in. Here's the lasciviousness, the lusts, the excess of wine, the revelings. And then he mentions this little word called banquetings. We're going to have to look at that a little closer. And abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of right speaking evil of you. Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? We're going to give an account to God for our 
works, the things we do in this life. Now he mentions there a couple of words. One of those is excess of wine. That Greek word means, according to Strong's, an overflow or surplus of wine that is venolency or drunkenness. And then he mentions that little word banquetings. That is a drinking, social drinking. That's what that is, a drinking or carousing. That's Thayer's definition, but a drinking, that is social drinking. Barnes, in his commentary, makes this comment about that word. It means properly drinking, an act of drinking. Then it also means a drinking bout, drinking together. The thing forbidden by it is an assembling together for the purpose of drinking. Social drinking, going to the bar after work, having a glass of wine before dinner. That is all sin. In 1 Peter 2, 11, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. Drinking alcohol, dancing, the promiscuity at the prom or any other way kills the body and the soul. I want to read to you some headlines that occur after prom night. Number one, five teens dead from drinking and driving. Number two, police arrest 23 minors for alcohol violations. Number three, teen ODs in school gym. Number four, local girl raped. Oh, these are headlines, yes. These all occur after the prom. From Truth Magazine again, an article by Steve Curtis, The Danger of Prom Night, and I want to quote him. Another sin closely associated with the prom is drunkenness. Again, there are those who promote abstinence from alcohol on prom night by asking students to sign pledges of sobriety. Some schools even use a breath test on anyone suspected of using alcohol at the prom. There are parents who provide safe environments for their children to drink by renting hotel rooms for their children. Chauffeured limousines are having parties in their home. Again, regardless of one's view toward alcohol in the prom, evidently students, parents, and school officials associate drunkenness with the prom. Unquote. And we've seen what God says about drunkenness. And by the way, if you drink one drink, you're one drink drunk. Something else that goes on at the prom, illicit sexual activities, either at the prom or after the prom. Now you heard this little statement a while ago, some parents rent hotels for their children. Well, with dancing and alcohol, what would you expect to happen? Parents turn their heads the other way whenever it comes to this reality. You know, I, I, lived, I was in a small school when I graduated. There were 11 
seniors that graduated in my class. That was how many there were. Well, 11 seniors went on our, there were 14 of us. Only 11 of us went on the senior trip. We'll correct that a little bit. We had four chaperones for 11 students. Only five abstained from illicit sexual activities, even with chaperones. So let me tell you something, chaperones don't work. Chaperones don't work. Well, let's, let's kind of put it this way. You know, a little over 50% there committed fornication. Well, if a rattlesnake bites just a little over 50% of children on a playground, are we going to send our children out there? Well, why do we send them to the prom then and risk their immortal souls? Yeah, we see the danger there. I'm not going to send a child out on the playground if there's a rattlesnake out there that bites over half of them. That'd be stupid. Well, so is sending your child or you if you're one who is going to the prom. The Bible condemns sexual activity outside of the marriage bond. We've looked at Galatians 5.19 over and over in this lesson. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. We need to get these things through our heads. Fornication. Here's the definition by Thayer. Illicit sexual intercourse, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, lesbianism, intercourse with animals, etc. Sexual intercourse with close relatives, Leviticus 18.1. Sexual intercourse with a divorced man or woman. That all fits fornication. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, the writer there says, Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Marriage is honorable that the bed's undefiled in marriage. It is defiled in unmarriage. When we used to live in Texas, we were listening, we'd listen to uh, WBAP 820 out of Fort Worth, Dallas there, and I don't know if they still do this or not. This has been a long time ago, but on a certain day of the week, they would have a guy came on that is called Willie Landham, fishing guide to the stars. And the host there would ask him, you know, how's the fishing this week or whatever like that. And one day, and this shows that the world knows what goes on at the prom or afterwards. It was August. And Willie Landham was asked the question, you know, how's the fishing going? And he put it this way. Fishing in August in Texas falls off almost as fast as a high school prom dress. The world knows what goes on with the prom 
why don't we, why haven't we figured this out? It's because we're blind to reality. Again, Todd Clifford in the House to House article, Should Christian Teens Attend the Prom? <clears throat> I quote, while the word prom is a shortened version of the word promenade, it might as well be a shortened version of promiscuity. A Google search of the words prom and sex resulted in over 1.4 million hits. Admittedly, not all of these were concerned with sexual activity as it relates to the prom, but most were, including the very first one. This link sent me to teenadvice.com and it's Prom Central. Here I found a long list of links to articles about the prom. Among these articles was How to Have Sex on Your Prom Night. Among the other links were numerous articles which promoted prom as the night to lose one's virginity. This thing is not done in a corner, Acts 26, 26. Any Christian parent who does not know these things only does so by turning a blind eye to the whole situation, unquote. From Truth Magazine, another quote here from Steve Curtis's article, The Danger of Prom Night, quote, Fornication is another sin closely connected with prom. Many schools now have groups that promote abstinence before a prom. They ask students to sign statements promising not to engage in sexual activity. I've heard of some parents who give their children rings or other jewelry to remind them of their commitment to abstinence. Of course, there are those on the other hand who believe young people are going to have sex, so instead of teaching them to behave morally, they teach them the importance of safe sex. Regardless of the view taken, evidently most people associate fornication with the prom, unquote. So those young men and young women who engage in premarital sex after the prom are fornicators. Well, something else associated with the prom, and that is lies. What are some of the lies that are associated with the prom? Boys lie to girls about their honorable intentions. Teens lie to parents about what will happen after the prom or where they will go when it's over. Even some young Christian men and women lie to go to the prom and then they lie to themselves in order to pacify their conscience. What are some of the lies that they tell themselves? Yeah, dancing isn't all that bad. Everybody else is doing it. Well, I'll just go and, and not dance. That'll be okay. I will go and I will not drink alcohol. Well, I will go and just not get involved in sexual activity. See, these are some of the lies that Christian young people tell themselves. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. The King James Version says, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. 
the American Standard Version says, Be not deceived, evil companionships corrupt good morals. Whenever this Christian young man or woman decides to go to the prom, they are going to be there with evil companionships. And those evil companions there will corrupt their good morals. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, Paul puts it another way here. Ephesians 5, 11 says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So what should a young Christian young man or woman be doing when invited to go to the prom? Having no fellowship and reproving that. I am not going there because immoral things are going to be happening there. There's going to be drinking there or later. There's going to be dancing there or later. There's going to be fornication there or later. I am not going and you shouldn't either. That's what should be said. And that's what Christian parents should be saying as well. Because worldly parents don't really care. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22, 1 Timothy 5, 22, says, Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Whenever this Christian or young man or woman decides to go to the prom to justify whatever they try to do there, they're being a partaker of other men's sins. And they are not keeping themselves pure. And the Bible condemns all lying. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 4. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 4. says, A wicked doer giveth heed to false lips, and a liar giveth ear to a naughty tongue. In John chapter 8, verse 44. John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus says there, You're of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So whenever we lie, who are we? Well, let's put it this way. Are we being like God or are we being like the devil when we lie? God cannot lie, Titus 1, 2. The devil is the father of lies. We're being just like the devil whenever we lie. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says, Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after him, the image of him that created him. See, we're to be acting in a holy manner, not in an unholy manner by lying. In Revelation 21.8, you probably knew I was going to get there sooner or later. Revelation 21.8 but the fearful and unbelieving and abominable 
and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So what is the truth? What's the truth about the prom? The prom is not an innocent activity. It is a worldly, ungodly activity. The prom is filled with moral dangers and sinful activities. Godly parents will not allow their teens to attend the prom, and those Christian teens should have absolutely no desire to attend this ungodly activity. You see, the prom raises its ugly head and is lurking in the dark to spring on unsuspecting teens that wander into its trap. And how many young lives have been ruined by the prom? Well, again, this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for tuning in today. We look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Media by visiting us at BibleWayMedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. You can find us not only on Facebook, but you also can find us on Tumblr. You can also find us on the Twitter alternative known as Telegram and on the Facebook alternative known as MeWe. We hope you enjoyed this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.